This summer, we have two very powerful documentary films that look into the problem of Japanese wartime sex slavery. One is My Name is Kim Bokdong, and the other is Chujeonjang, the main battleground of the comfort women issue. I'll say these two complement each other with the latter shedding light on often overlooked aspect of the historical debate, which we have the chance to hear directly from the director of the film, Nikki Dejaki. Uh, good morning, Mr. Dejaki. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, you. You were born and raised in the U.S. and spent some time in Japan for teaching, and then in Thailand, uh, which is interesting, uh, trying out for a Buddhist monk. Uh, what exactly triggered you to make the documentary film that deals with the historical disputes of uh, great uh, import? Well, uh, before becoming a monk, uh, I was a YouTuber, and I made this uh, video called Racism in Japan. And um, that caused uh, a lot of backlash in Japan, and I got really, like, kind of bashed by the uh, neo-nationalist right-wing online. It's through that kind of experience that I kind of came to know about the comfort woman issue because Asahi Shimbun journalist was getting bashed in the same way for the articles that he wrote on the comfort woman issue. So it just kind of our common experience made me interested in the comfort woman issue. And uh, through research, I realized that I could possibly, you know, give some context to the issue if I made a documentary. And hopefully that this would, uh, you know, help the relations between Korea and Japan. Mm -hmm. On your website, you explained that being a male a uh, Japanese-American director allows you access to a diverse group of interviewees. Did it really work well for you? Yeah, I would say that being Japanese-American allowed me access to people on the right-wing side of the issue and also the left-wing side. So, for instance, for the Japanese right, uh, knowing that I'm Japanese and American helped in that they are trying to change the minds of Americans. Mm -hmm. And uh, they don't actually get that much support from like the second generation or third generation Japanese Americans. And so I think they thought they could kind of use me to convince those Japanese Americans and other Americans. And on the left side, or maybe even the Korean side, um, there were people who were saying that if you were just Japanese, I would never do an interview with you because they had been, um, I guess, taken out of context by other kind of Japanese media in the past. And uh, my being male definitely had something to do with it, I think, um, especially with the Japanese right-wingers. Um, mm -hmm. When they're doing these kind of interviews with me, I think if they thought that I was a female, that I wouldn't be able to rationally... Uh, judge this issue because uh, it is a woman's issue. So um, maybe they thought like, oh, a male can see this objectively and neutrally, whereas a woman might not be able to. That's a loaded statement in and of itself. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about the Japanese academics who appear in your uh, movie. They seem to be very knowledgeable and well-versed about mm -hmm. the history and legal issues surrounding the comfort women. Uh, not only the uh, academics, but also journalists as well. Right. So I would say the main historian uh, of the comfort women issue, or at least the kind of foremost scholar, is Yoshimi Yoshiaki. And he uh, is well known for kind of 
showing that the Japanese military or Japanese government did have something to do with this comfort woman issue. Because mm-hmm. in the past, they were kind of denying it and saying, uh, well, it was mainly Koreans who uh, recruited the women, so we didn't have anything to do with it. But he proved that that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he is, I think, one of the foremost scholars because a lot of the documents are in Japanese. So um, although there are many good uh, Korean historians, um, because he is Japanese and he can read the Japanese uh, documents, um, he is kind of known as that foremost scholar. Um, there was also a uh, international law and human rights professor I interviewed named Abe Koki, who is really important to the uh, film for kind of defining what slave or sex slave actually means instead of kind of um, going by our own imagination of what those terms mean. He actually defined it in international legal terms for us. Mm-hmm. It's a term and of then, art rather than the everyday use of the word. Right, right, right. I think a lot of people have sort of their own idea of what a slave is, or they have this kind of image of a slave being somebody who is always chained up or something like that. And that's not necessarily what a slave means mm-hmm. in international legal terms. Right. Uh, let's talk about the title of the film, Jujanjang in, in Korean pronunciation, the main battleground. Interestingly, w- what you were saying in the film was that the main battleground for Japanese historical revisionists is neither Japan nor Korea, but it is in the U.S. Uh, can you elaborate on that point? Sure. Um, so this is actually, yeah, what the Japanese revisionists say. Uh, they believe that America is the main battleground. And I think one thing they want to change the minds of Americans, because they think that if they're able to sort of change the minds of Americans, then they can make, possibly change world history. However, I think that the ultimate goal is really for there to be consistency with uh, what they did in Japan. They already believe that they won the battle in Japan, so their historical narrative is the mainstream narrative here in Japan. And so when Japanese students go abroad or study English, um, they want consistency. Mm-hmm. So that when these people go abroad or look up online about the comfort woman issue in English, that it will be consistent information so that they can go back and say to everybody, yes, you know, actually even the Americans think the same way as we think, right? Mm-hmm. But right now there's no consistency because most Americans, or at least most American media, think that the women were sex slaves. So um, they are hoping to change that. And for the Japanese population, they will be able to confirm that, yes, they were just you know, prostitutes or something, as they believe. When you say consistency, can you tell us what the narrative is in Japan uh, in terms of uh, historical revisionism? Yeah, so for me, it's sort of an extreme point of view, but for many Japanese, it's kind of what they think common sense now, that the women were just lying, they were nothing more than prostitutes. This whole thing is just created to make Japan look bad in an international community. Well, the the consistency in their part, I can't believe that that was a strategy to direct the attention of the United States audience. Um, How about telling us the mechanism of how Japanese neo-nationalists or historical revisionists function in the U.S. to do that? Yeah, so they have a number of groups uh, in cities, mainly with like Japanese Americans. 
first-generation Japanese-Americans, so people who have actually immigrated to America. So a lot of these first-generation Americans, they tend to be more nationalistic towards Japan. And uh, these groups, they hold events. Um, sometimes they try to hold events in, like, uh, the U.N., in New York or uh, other locations at universities, just to kind of give them legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, for these first-generation Japanese-Americans, especially for the women, maybe they don't really work, they're maybe housewives, and so this kind of gives them some sort of purpose. They feel like they're protecting the honor of Japan. And like I said before, they also have websites a lot of websites in English to try to convince uh, Americans or uh, Japanese people searching for information in English of their historical narrative. They actually made this recent website called, like, the Princeton Institute of Asian Studies, which sounds like it's from Princeton University, but it's actually just a right-winger group Mm -hmm. that created this website to make it seem like it's Princeton, and it has just all the revisionist history in there. I see. What's your assessment as to how successful they are in terms of uh, spreading that kind of revisionist views in the U.S.? They're not, like, super successful just because the American media is basically saying that these women were sex slaves. However, I have noticed that the American media also has been kind of adding in a little more, you know, nuance, which is fine to add nuance, but... It does seem like uh, they're trying to move a little more away from that term sex slave, too. Mm -hmm. So that's a little surprising. You know, for Americans, just like myself, uh, I didn't really know much about the comfort women issue just from reading these small articles in American newspapers. So when these right-wingers come with historical documents or showing that the women's testimonies were, you know, inconsistent at times, then it makes you feel like, okay, well, maybe I don't know everything. And you start to doubt the whole thing. So they can be quite effective uh, if they can get their message out there. Mm -hmm. When you said uh, Washington is not completely innocent uh, when it comes to Mm. Japan's historical revisionism, uh, are you making that reference as well? So when I think uh, Washington is not completely innocent, I'm more referring to how uh, America allowed Kishi Nobusuke to uh, be free and actually pushed him to be prime minister of Japan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's really Kishi Nobusuke who uh, had this idea of kind of whitewashing the history so that um, Japanese people would be more supportive of remilitarization. Uh, mm-hmm. of changing the Constitution so that they can remilitarize. So, um, you know, this kind of idea really comes from Kishinobusuke, which Americans let off the hook. So I do think that Washington has some kind of role in this whole historical revisionism. I see in that sense. Uh, in the film, also, you shed light on this group called the uh, Nippon Kaiki. Uh, yeah. Tell us who they are and what their political aims are. 
Um, so in Japan, the left is often sort of scattered. These political groups are kind of scattered, whereas the right is unified by this network called the Nippon Kaigi. They have this focused goal of amending the constitution so that they can remilitarize.、Uh, they want to go back to traditional ways of living, which basically means that they want traditional gender roles. They also want to kind of base the society around the imperial household, and they want to allow、uh, politicians to go to Yasukuni Shrine. So、mm-hmm. when they say, you know, we want politicians to officially be able to go to Yasukuni Shrine, what that means is that they kind of are approving of state Shintoism, this, I guess, connection between religion and Politics, which is supposed to be against the constitution, right?、Mm-hmm. Separation of church and state. But they're kind of approving of that. They also want、uh, or force people to stand up for the national anthem and bow to the flag, which for right now, there are many Japanese left wingers who、uh, refuse to do that kind of thing.、Mm-hmm. So、um, basically, they're kind of trying to create a、uh, nation of people that. Sort of reflects what it looked like pre war、mm. or during the war. I see.、Uh, lastly, I heard that since the release of the film, or even before that actually, you've been blackmailed from time to time、uh, only because you <laughs> mentioned it in your previous interviews. I also looked up Punish Dezaki on the internet and got some results.、Um, how are you coping <laughs> with it? Does it threaten you or bother you a lot? Yeah, there's that Twitter called、uh, Punish Dezaki. Actually, there's a Punish Shusenjo website that、uh, popped up right around the same time. So I actually think that the Punish Shusenjo website seems to be made by the people who are suing me. So I think that Punish Dezaki site is actually,、uh, or Punish Dezaki Twitter account is made by the same people. And it's really just childish and ridiculous.、Um, I don't feel so threatened、uh, right now, but I know I have to be very, very careful. You know, Japan is a safe country as long as you don't really rock the boat or go against the grain. And、uh, I've done both of that, those things. So,、um, you know, when I'm in Japan, I'm very aware that there are people out there who are not happy with the film I made and、uh, they might be、uh, willing to hurt me.、Um, so far、uh, online, I haven't gotten too many threats, but people are trying to look for my address and things like that. But、um, I'm more concerned about the people who are thinking that they want to hurt me but don't write anything. You know, I am、uh, quite recognizable because of the way I look. And so,、um, yeah, I have to be very careful in Japan. I hope so. So, Mr. Dezaki,、uh, thank you for making this film that increased the understanding of this important issue. And thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Miki Dezaki, director of Chujanjang, or the main battleground of the comfort women issue.